well, there's two sides to this. Teachers can either go too rigid, so they can make it that, you know, you have to do it within these parameters and it has to fit these things and has to have this sequence or whatever. Or it can go the other way and be too loose. And that's actually not creatively free either, because if students are just free to create anything and you just say, well, play whatever you want, they don't have the expertise to play something that's going to sound good. So that's not going to be a creatively rewarding process for them. I'm Ben Capolo, and welcome to All Keyed Up. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I spoke with Nicola Canton. Nicola Canton is a piano teacher, author, blogger, and creator of imaginative and engaging teaching resources. She loves getting piano students learning through laughter and exploring the diverse world of music making through improvisation, composition, and games. Nicola's membership site, Vibrant Music Teaching, is helping teachers all over the world to include more games and off-bench activities in their lessons so that their students giggle their way through music theory and make faster progress. Nicola also runs a popular blog, Colorful Keys, where she shares creative ideas and teaching strategies and hosts regular training events for piano teachers. I'm excited about this episode. It's one of my favorite topics, teaching composition, with one of my favorite people in the piano teaching world. If you don't already know about Vibrant Music Teaching, I definitely recommend checking it out. I'm a member, and it's made me so much better as a teacher. Hope you enjoy the interview. Nicola, thanks so much for joining today. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Ben. Uh, so Vibrant Music Teaching is really known for helping teachers kind of explore creative options for their studios. And one way to do that is to work with students on creating their own music, which is what I'd like to discuss today. So first, I want to talk about what benefits students receive from creating their own music. So stereotypically, piano instruction is mostly centered around playing pieces that other people wrote. So what do students gain from kind of playing this role of composer? And how does that translate back into their overall general piano playing abilities? Yeah, oh, well, they gain so much from it. But there are two sides that I tend to refer back to again and again. First is what I call incognito theory, meaning they're not completing a theory workbook or theory worksheets that often teachers find don't get completed at home. We're not asking them to do that. We're asking them to write their own piece. So they don't see it as theory, but they end up learning. Okay, well, when I draw this note, they turn to their teacher and they say, is the stem supposed to go up or down here? Mm -hmm. And then you get to talk about note stem rules, which otherwise you're never going to have a joyful conversation about. <laughs> so things like that come up in, in the process of it, which is really wonderful as a way to explore theory. And then the other side, which is really important to me, is um, students knowing that they can write music. Like literally that it's not written just by other people, but that they can create it the same way someone else can. And yes, they don't have the expertise and they're not at that whatever level of a professional composer who wrote their book, but they can do it too. Mm -hmm. And in that way they become a musician or they see themselves as a musician and take ownership over creating their own music, which is huge. Yeah, it, it helps them own the process in a way that I don't think you do as much if someone else wrote the piece. Um, so you were talking earlier about how composing can help you 
know about which note stems to use and integrate theory. So I want to talk about this idea of integration. So one element of my teaching that I think got a lot better from learning about vibrant music teaching is this video you have called a uh, top three piano lesson planning mistakes new teachers make. And in one of them, you talk about the issue with teaching kind of in categories um, and saying that we need to kind of connect the dots between pieces in our lessons. I know when I first watched that video, I had a moment where I was like, oh, oops, because <laughs> that's definitely what I was doing. So I want to talk about that with composition. Um, so could you talk about ways that we can teach composition where it's integrated with the rest of the lesson and it's not just like five minutes of theory, five minutes of scales, 10 minutes of repertoire, and then five minutes of composition as a tag on or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so sometimes it is a separate activity when we're doing projects and we can connect it back in smaller ways. But throughout the year, I think composing can be an integrated part of what we do. And even more so, improvisation can. So virtually everything that a student is learning in my lessons, they're learning it through playing it as well through improvising with the elements. So whether that's steps and skips or G major or anything else, mm -hmm. they're going to improvise with that. And then we can then take that forward into a composing project, even mm -hmm. a micro one, even a tiny yeah. little project where they write a few bars of their own music. So I think part of it is scaling down the level of the compositions, but yeah, a lot of it comes from improvisation and that's how I'm integrating mm -hmm. the two things together in a lot mm -hmm. of cases. Yeah, I really like that idea that when you learn a new concept, rather than just tell the student the concept, let them improvise with that concept. So if we are learning what 6-8 time is, improvise in 6-8 time. If we're mm -hmm. learning about staccato, now improvise something with staccato. I mean, that is, I think, a great way to integrate it with the rest of the lesson. Um, so going back to this point about creativity, um, I think that the obvious kind of benefit of teaching composition would be to encourage creativity. But you had an interesting uh, chat uh, these vibrant music teacher chats. And one of them was called How to Be a Creative Music Teacher. And I remember when I was watching that, I was expecting you to just say, well, the way to be creative is to teach students to improvise and compose. But you interestingly talked about how even improvisation and composition work can be uncreative depending on how it's done. And you talked about how some ideas like teaching theory can be creative, and it's really just a matter of how you do it. So what would be an example of a composition or improvisation lesson that would not necessarily be encouraging creativity? Oh my gosh. Well, I would say the type of composing I would t I was probably taught is a way not to encourage creativity. How were you taught? So, um we really only approach composing through theory exams traditionally in lessons, mm -hmm. so we it's a very exam-based culture and that's where I would have come across the idea in the first place of me ever composing my own music was you do it to demonstrate that you understand theory and basically you only do it when you get to uh, in a in a big way when you get to the level of like roman numeral analysis and <laughs> looking at chord structures and all of that right. so it's very much a mathematical yeah. problem which is fine at that level but why wasn't it introduced right. at an earlier stage in a more creative way so yeah, I would say that's one way it can be non-creative. Um, and another way is, well, there's two sides to this. Mm -hmm. Teachers can either go too rigid, so they can make it that 
you know, you have to do it within these parameters and it has to fit these things and has to have this sequence or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or it can go the other way and be too loose. And that's actually not creatively free either because if students are just free to create anything and you just say, play whatever you want, yeah. they don't have the expertise to play something that's going to sound good. So that's not going to be a creatively rewarding process for them. In my experience, it also makes them very nervous. I think that was a mistake when I first started teaching. I did this with improvisation, and I was like, okay, now we're going to improvise. Go! And they would get very self-conscious. Um, yeah, so I think there, there is definitely a balance, as you're kind of describing, between giving them some rules and some sort of a structure, but allowing them to be free within that structure. And there can be a risk of overdoing it or underdoing it. Um, what about improvisation? What would be a way that you would feel like improvisation work could be uncreative? Would it be, I guess, the same idea? Or? The same idea being either too loose, which yeah. I think is the more common issue with improv that yeah. teachers come across is they will say, oh, play whatever. Or even for certain students, play whatever on the black keys is not enough for them. They need more structure. They need mm-hmm. greater barriers in order to feel secure enough to make their own music, hmm. right, within that structure. Oh, that's interesting for you to say improvise on the black keys is not enough. That is a very standard, stereotypical piano teacher activity. What would be a way that you would encourage students to work on improvising with black keys that would be more structured than that? So I'm not saying that's a bad cue, and it works very well for many students, but <laughs> for some, and I'm sure yeah. teachers will have come across this who <laughs> are listening, those, those students who they just stare at, they're terrified of playing anything because they're not convinced that it's going to sound okay. And we know it's a mm. pentatonic scale and it's all going to sound fabulous no matter what right. they do. Yeah. But they don't know that. So, yeah, just giving like a call and response can be a great way to make that a little That's bit good. more comfortable. So you mm. keep your pattern going, whatever accompaniment you were doing, mm. keep it going in the left, but do a little bit in their range of the piano with your right hand that is something they could do. So just do re me or something. And then they can copy that or they can come across their own. But that's another way to provide a little bit more structure where they just have a little bit to do and then you do a little bit for them. Yeah, I just released an interview today with the creators of Piano Safari and they just released um, a new, like just this week, I think, a book called Piano Safari Friends, which is for preschoolers. That is almost all exactly what you're describing, like call and response improv. Um, And it works really, really well for beginning students. So now I want to talk about some of the specific resources that Vibrant Music Teaching offers to help students create their own music. And I can say before we start that everything I'm talking about, I've used in my own studio and really, really like, so I can attest that these are fantastic resources. What I appreciate about Vibrant Music Teaching is that you offer composition work at kind of all levels. So on the one hand, you have very, very quick one-off composition activities that only take a few minutes, um, which you call micro compositions. Can you talk about these? Yeah, absolutely. So I created those actually because I was going to be traveling (laughs) in the days we could travel. I was going to be traveling (laughs) to Australia, um, which was in January 2020. I went to Tim Topham's conference over there. And so my teacher, my students are going to be without me for a few weeks. And that's actually when I created those. So they're great for that situation, but they're also great for using on a week to week basis. What they are is I actually called them mini books. So they're these tiny little books. Each composing prompt is just four bars. And I did them in three different levels. So the first one is pre-reading. It's just um, note values. And then you fill in the letters basically Mm -hmm. underneath. 
and there's like an idea of where to start it or the first note is filled in or something like that to get kids started and then it goes to having a single stave and then onto the grand staff in the third level and so but everyone is four bars or four measures so it's just that quick little snap of I'm creating something using this thing. So depending on the level, it might be creating using a particular scale or a particular mode even, depending on where we put them. Or the left-hand accompaniment is already filled in or something like that. And the student needs to write their own part just in that short little, Mm -hmm. little chunk of composing. And it's really accessible because it's just those four bars or four measures. Yeah. And what I also really like about them is a lot of them have these fun prompts at the top, like either emotions or colors, like it'll be play something that sounds like orange in C major or play something that sounds scared or nervous. I mean, it's a great way to encourage, I think, more creativity than some of the Roman numeral types of things you were describing yeah. earlier. Um, and it's a, it's very I don't know, my students find it so fun to think about like, <clears throat> like what would blue sound like on a piano? So now going a little bit more extensive than those micro compositions, if teachers want a little bit more kind of of a plunge, you offer composing projects and there's animal menagerie and fantastic fictions. Can you talk about those? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the first type of composing I actually did in my studio mm-hmm. were these bigger composing projects. So I think we have about four or five now inside the library um that I released on the blog and then inside VMT but they are projects where students walk through step by step creating a piece and we follow a very simple format it's not the only way to compose a piece I like to put that caveat out there I'm not saying everyone has to do it in this order but it's just a simple structure that students can follow and teachers can walk them through it and it doesn't seem as overwhelming. So they just simply compose an A motif, then they compose different options for a B motif to go with that. They put it in a simple form and like if they're young students, they're just choosing really at random, like A, A, B, A. Okay, that's the one they, you know, they say they want it to look like ABBA or whatever and <laughs> just go with that. Okay. Um, so it can be quite loose and random choices at some stages for the younger students but they put it in that form then they add a left hand at a a level appropriate way and then the dynamics and the title and each one has a different theme the reason behind the theme is number one to make it you know a more interesting project for them of course and to have that barrier to the creativity which allows you to be more creative but also because I then take those uh, pieces, which all of my students do, and I put them into a book. So every year in my studio, we produce a book of all of their pieces put together. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that's really fun. And we do it around this time as we're recording this, Ben, uh, every year. So we're actually just wrapping it up right now on my latest one, um, which is really fun. And this year we did a songwriting one. So the pieces all have lyrics. One of my students wrote the lyrics and then the other one wrote the music to go with someone else's lyrics. Um, And that's been a fun twist on that. That's not inside Vibrant Music Teaching yet uh, because I have to formalize it as a project. But... um, Yeah, it's been really fun for my students to do. So yeah, they have that collection of the books and the students who've been with me for five or so years, you know, they have one for each year that they've been there and they can see how their own composing has progressed. Wow. So in this book that you're describing, does every student you have contribute to that or is it opt-in? 
Every student, uh, oh, not adult great. students, okay. um, but every student, like of kids and teens. Yeah. Well, I think that's great that you have everybody do it. Yeah, absolutely. Even if they've only been a few weeks in lessons, they still end up taking part. Wow, that is so great. Um, and I get, and that must be so exciting for them to have like a physical holding something that looks kind of like their method books, but it's their music and music of other students. I mean, it again, goes back to like owning the process. Um, but I also wanted to say that I really liked about these composing projects. You were talking about form. I mean, we were saying earlier about how composing is a way to kind of own the process and integrate their theory work. I mean, this is a great way to learn about form. I mean, now I think when they compose something and they use a form, now they can look at their repertoire pieces and have a renowned, like a renewed interest in form because they were able to explore it in these fun composing projects. And what I also liked about these composing projects is they're, they're like so creative. They're, one of them is like, create your own character. What's the plot? And it's, there's this whole page that's not really about music that's just guiding them through kind of a story and extra musical concepts. And that kind of provides a very fun springboard to the actual composition work, which is, again, what I think distinguishes some of the vibrant music teaching kind of approach to composing versus the standard, like, let's write a four measure phrase, end on the dominant, do this for the exam, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, now, I want to talk about kind of what I believe is the most in-depth resource that Vibrant Music Teaching offers in terms of composition, which is the 10-week composer cultivation lesson plan. Um, can you talk about this resource and also in general kind of what your thoughts are as far as sequencing concepts if we want to work with students on composition as a whole long-term unit as opposed to kind of a one-off activity in a lesson? Yeah, so the that course is really designed to supplement a composing project so you would use it alongside one of the composing projects like the spring themes or the fantastic fish fiction that you mentioned or the new upcoming lyric writing one um and what it's designed to do is say okay so you're composing you've got this opportunity how can you make the most of that and take all the theory opportunities out of that and move them into other realms so that students apply them so it gives you ideas for games you could use at the various different points in any of the projects so that students actually experience everything thoroughly. Like one example I, I love every year when we do this composing project in my studio is dynamics because students get to the stage of adding their dynamics to their piece and it's like especially their first few years doing it, it's like they suddenly realize and you see this difference in, oh, I really want the performer to perform this correctly, right? The way I imagine it. Mm -hmm. So I want them to be soft at this point if they're loud at this point. And I sometimes demonstrate things all wrong for them before they add the <laughs> dynamics so that they can see like how bizarro it sounds. And of course, a performer would never make those poor choices, but it illustrates to them that you have to add these dynamic marks so that the performer yeah. does what you want. You're making them care about dynamics as opposed to just understanding dynamics. Exactly. It's not just about a definition or following the rules. Mm -hmm. And they start to see the flip side of that because they're in the composer seat and they're thinking about this performer ruining their piece by not doing the right dynamics, right? Because it's supposed to sound like a dinosaur. And this is where they start to see, oh, the respect for the dynamics that the composer put there not never questioning them, but having respect for it. They made that choice for a reason and I should pay attention to it because that's a big part of how they're telling the story in this piece. And so 
that's just one example, but through that composing course, what we're doing is taking those opportunities. Okay, they've just had this hint of dynamics are so important and they can do all of this for my playing and for the composer's intent. Now let's apply them through a game. Now let's apply them in these other ways so that we solidify that concept. Hmm. Yeah, and it creates an amazing result. I mean, I had a recital recently um, where one of my students played a piece that they wrote using the composer cultivation lesson plan. And by the end of it, you really end up with what sounds like a real piece. Um, so it's really a fantastic resource. But going back to this idea about sequencing, I mean, when you're, you mentioned earlier that some of your students, even that you've had for a few weeks, are contributing pieces to this packet of compositions. What are like, at a really early stage, what are some of the first things that you work with students on for composing? For composing, well, they would be working on the same level of piece. So one thing I'll say is not every piece that a student composes could they read and perform. Right. So th that's always been okay with me. It's going to be in a level appropriate way, but it doesn't mean that they wouldn't have to practice quite a bit to perform it or that they won't have to take a while before they're at that level. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean they can't create that music. So with a really young student who's a beginner, some of the composing work that we would be doing, we would be utilizing a lot of A or B to get them to compose it. <laughs> We're going through this at the moment with some newer students where, especially if they're humming and hawing, you know, they're thinking, oh, I'm not sure, I don't know, I don't know the right answer. Um, with students with that particular personality type just saying, okay, should it go like this or should it go like that? So they tend to come up with the melody themselves um, quite readily. And then it comes to things like adding a left hand or doing various other changes or applying it into that form and things like that. And that would be a lot of us prompting them and saying, should it be like this oh, or like that? And we demonstrate both ways and then they're choosing one. So they're still making those decisions. And of course, they're not having to write this out. My older students, when we have in-person lessons anyway, um, they would be writing this themselves. And actually, in the last few years, I've had them notated themselves in MuseScore, which is a free notation software yeah. for those not familiar. Mm -hmm. um, so they actually learned that and they did that in the studio as well. Any student over age nine did that for the last few years. So they actually notated it themselves. For the younger students, they're not at that level, right? right. So they're, the teacher is going to do that for them. They're going to do the notation. But some of them will often write their own scribbled version. Or like this year, we did the lyrics. So they wrote the lyrics out, like the actual words. If they were old enough to write words, of course. And then they just put note values above and the letter names below as their own way to remember how their melody goes and work on it during the week. And then we put it on the staff for them. That's great. Well, I think that in all of these examples you're describing, from the youngest beginners picking A or B to the uh, older ones who use MuseScore, what I like about that is I think it's a great balance between what we were talking about earlier about not giving them so many rules that it's overly rigid, like some of these exams, but it's also not so much freedom that it kind of tightens them up. Um, because you are giving them some choices, but not too many choices. Um, yeah. So I'm interested in this songwriter project that you're doing this year. Um, in my studio, I have a lot of singer-songwriter types, and this is something that I feel like I'm not struggling with, but I don't find it as easy or 
I find it more challenging to teach than students who want to strictly work on composition. So with these students, at least of mine, I don't know how you do it in your studio, but they enjoy like playing chord patterns and kind of singing over these chord patterns. And there's a ton of resources out there kind of providing students with examples of chord patterns that they can play. But what I find hard is like working with them on what they sing over that. So do you have a suggestion of what a better way is to kind of work with students on coming up with a strong melody to sing over these accompaniment patterns besides just like having them play the chord pattern and then saying to them like, okay, sing something. Yeah, that's a great question. So I will clarify before I answer your question, I'll clarify what type of songs we're doing at the moment. Cause I'm doing this across my studio and it's not proper songs. It's not pop songs. Oh, it's like okay. method book songs. If you imagine that, right. Oh. So it's like a melody and accompaniment. It's a page or two. It's nothing of that depth, but I do have students who are in the same boat as your students there mm-hmm. who, um, they also take voice lessons and they're mm-hmm. experimenting with creating their own songs and it's wonderful. Um, one of them came back after last summer, having written this amazing uh, COVID parody song like it was so funny anyway so I do have students doing that yeah. as well I had one student almost do that it didn't quite fully pan out but they started it it was a, a parody of something from Mama Mia oh it was instead of dancing queen it was quarantine yeah <laughs> it was very funny but anyway so you were saying no no I love that um so the students who are playing around with chord patterns and trying to come up with a melody over that I would get into the theory with them because this is where chords can open up everything. And the students I have who are into that side of things, writing their own songs, singing, they tend to love chords and they love getting under the skin of them. So I wouldn't shy away from explaining to them what um, scales or fragments of scales would go over those chords or building it from the chords and then just using passing tones and that kind of thing as a starting point. Um, because again, if you tell people just experiment, just see what sounds good, we're coming at that from the position of having years upon years of music theory under our belt and it's instinct, quote unquote, to us, but it's not instinct. It's actually expertise. And we have to be careful of conflating the two when we're working with students, you know, that curse of knowledge issue where we know so much that we don't see what it's like to do that as a beginner we think it's instinctive or we're just guessing but we're not so yeah giving them some simple rules about this chord is these notes how about we try those notes on top and then fill in around there can be a starting point things like that simple tricks like that okay another question about sort of um not singer songwriters but about creating songs and what you were describing with your students who write method book pieces with lyrics how do you work with students on creating lyrics yeah the lyric writing process was interesting that was something brand new for us um, (laughs) and I didn't know how it would go when we started it but um yeah getting them to create lyrics well one thing I I told them okay it's gonna be something like a poem have you ever written a poem in school most of them have so that gave them a starting point and I said sometimes poems rhyme sometimes they don't so that's absolutely fine they don't have to rhyme I gave them a whole list of different ideas for what they could write about so that if they were stuck because some of them you say let's write a song and they say oh I want to write about unicorns and that's great and you just roll with it right 
But some of them say, I don't know, I don't know, oh, I don't have good ideas, you know, and they can get quite quickly down on themselves or thinking they're not creative. So um, just having a list of, I had things on it like, what's something that happened this week? How could you write about something that happened recently from someone else's perspective? So like, if your class was, had a horrible your school class, this is, had some horrible Zoom class this week. How about you write about that from your teacher's perspective and see what comes out there? Ooh. So taking different viewpoints. Teaching them empathy in addition yes. to music. <laughs> exactly. Or uh, fantastical things, things from books, different ideas like that. But having a series of prompts. And for those who got really stuck, even with that list, I would read it out to them and give examples and they'd, they'd say, I, I just don't know. And that usually means I'm just still afraid of looking yeah. silly. So I said, okay, well, we're going to come up with one idea for all of these and then we'll pick your favorite. So went back to the top of the list. Something that happened this week. If you had to write a song about something that happened this week, what would you write about? Oh, well, my dad fell over and broke the toilet. Okay, so, and we keep going like that, right? And then when they get to the end, they have a list and it's less overwhelming and they can just pick one of their ideas. And do they write the lyrics before they create music? Yeah, so we did it, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what we did last year for the composing project, which was just a few months after the, or it was like a month really when we would have started the composing project after the pandemic started. For most of us, we were all online and we had our composing project to do and I decided we needed to forge more connections in the studio since we weren't seeing each other in person, which we would normally do a lot of at group workshops and things. So I had each student write an A motif and then pass it along to another student who wrote a B motif to go with that and then pass that along, etc., etc. So every piece was touched or created by four or more different students. So it was like a pass-along story. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So that was something we did last year, and this year we're just passing along once. So every student wrote lyrics, and then I gave their lyrics to someone else in the studio, and they wrote the the music so I told them you get a chance to be the lyricist and the composer and you get to try on both hats and see which one you like oh that's you know, so fun yeah I think that's a great way to foster kind of a sense of community in your studio as well they're all kind of collaborating on these pieces exactly I'm always looking for those opportunities to connect them with each other because you know pianos can be very solitary absolutely and we know they're not going to end up in an orchestra or anything like that and we don't actually have school bands here so there's no opportunity for someone on piano to get involved with music in their mm -hmm. school really um so i'm always trying to connect them with each other right okay well today we were talking um mostly about composition but as i'm sure many of our listeners know i mean you could talk in this level of depth that we talked today about absolutely every element that's related to piano so can you give our listeners a broader sense of what you're up to now and how everyone listening can learn more about you and about vibrant music teaching and um, the membership options sure absolutely so vibrant music teaching is the membership as you said it's vibrantmusicteaching.com and that's where people can learn more about what's involved there what we provide is we have a huge library of games as well as courses like the one 
Ben mentioned earlier, composer cultivation and much longer ones spanning entire years worth of preschool lesson plans or further further ahead um, students at different levels, of course, and then specialist things like chord crash courses or any area that you want to get into. So we cover a huge range of things, but it's all with that lens of applying creativity and applying games-based or playful learning to everything that we do, everything we have to teach to our students to help them become lifelong musicians. So that's what we do in Vibrant Music Teaching. Since, though, listeners are obviously listening to a podcast right now, they might be most interested if they haven't met me before in learning more about our podcast, which is Mm -hmm. the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. So they can definitely check that out wherever they listen to audio. And um, yeah, those are great places to learn more about me. (laughs) Yes, it's a great podcast. Um, Okay, before we close, I just wanted to say, so I've read in the past that you said kind of when you first started, you used to be kind of an ordinary teacher, not doing anything wrong, but kind of just getting the job done, not doing anything earth shattering. But then you kind of explored more resources and then gradually moved towards a much more original approach to teaching that your students really latched onto. And to an extent, that's kind of how I feel about vibrant music teaching. I mean, I definitely think, as I kind of alluded to in this interview, when I started, I had a lot of kind of defaults that were fine, but not anything particularly original. And I think being a member at vibrant music teaching has made me so much better at teaching and my students are more enthusiastic. And I feels more just in general creative and interesting than what I used to do. So I really appreciate all the resources you provide. And thank you for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time. If you have any feedback about the episode you just heard or about the podcast in general, feel free to reach out to me through the contact page at www.bencapolo.com. Thank you.